Welcome to Drilling Deep. I'm your host, John Kingston. We're going to drill deep today into a few things, like the always controversial question of lease purchase plans for truck drivers. Our guest today is head of one of the leading providers of leases, and he's in a business that gets a tremendous amount of criticism, but also one that is setting a lot of drivers up in their own trucks if they do it right. His name is Matt Harris. His company is called Pathway, and he's going to be with us in a few minutes. We always drill deep into oil and diesel here, but I wanted to mention something that impacts both, but a little indirectly. The weekly report of the Energy Information Administration this week said jet fuel consumption last week was, don't worry, you don't have to remember this number, but just trust me on this, 1.361 million barrels per day. That's the second highest figure since the pandemic began. But I thought the more interesting news out of the airlines was that American Airlines said its bookings have risen to 90% of pre-pandemic levels. I found this stunning because you know that business travel is expected to take a long time to come back. So could the pent-up demand for leisure leisure travel really be fueling that sort of surge in travel bookings, enough to be 90% of pre-pandemic levels, even with business travel nowhere near that? I, I guess it can be. I have no reason to doubt those numbers. Where this is relevant to diesel is something we've discussed before, but I think this is a good time to emphasize it. Diesel is a distillate. Jet fuel is a distillate. When jet fuel demand cratered last year at the start of the pandemic, it meant a couple of things. First, gasoline demand plummeted too. So refiners didn't want to make too much gasoline, and they really didn't want to make too much jet. They did cut their runs at the refineries, but you know, refineries are not the type of things you can easily just dial back to some precise level. It's not like just cutting the hours at a store if the foot traffic is slow. It can be extremely expensive to bring a refinery down entirely. It can actually be quite risky, too. Sometimes they don't operate after a total shutdown quite like they did before, or if they do, it takes a long time to get there. So what refineries did last year, then, is that they shifted their distillate production away from jet as much as they could. They shipped a lot of gasoline production over to distillate, and then within the distillate, they shifted that away from jet and into diesel. And they did that because the diesel market was actually fairly decent as America continued to restock. They also, as I mentioned, they shifted gasoline production where they could to diesel. This all helped diesel inventories, keep the distillate inventories nice and healthy and resulted in diesel prices for a long time, significantly trailing movements in the price of crude. For example, the average spot market price between diesel on the CME Commodity Exchange and the price of Brent crude, which is the international crude benchmark, that number was about 41 cents per gallon in 2019. Last year, it was down to about 22 cents. That is in part because we had so much diesel because we shifted refinery operations away from making gasoline and away from making jet. And while the output of diesel was kept down in total by refineries operating at lower levels, it was still high relative to to, to the past, to, to the uh, amount of uh, gasoline and jet coming out of the refineries. So that's why the price of diesel relative to crude dropped by close to 50%. It's that sort of relationship that made me perk up when I saw the news of the uptick in bookings on American. I have no doubt that if it's happening at American, it's probably happening on other airlines as well. And what that means is that refineries are going to have to keep switching more of the distillate pool over toward jet and away from diesel. There are not a lot of signs of that happening yet. The latest statistical report shows jet output in the U.S. rising, but it also showed increased output for ultra-low sulfur diesel. But it is another aspect of the oil market to watch as the pandemic eases. 
I'd say that given that oil prices overall are more than where they were when the pandemic started, you can say that as far as oil is concerned, the pandemic is over. But there are relationships within the markets that got knocked out of whack, and diesel to crude is one of them. If the world starts making more jet fuel because of all those people going up in planes again, it could be that diesel output will decline relative to the rest of the barrel, and diesel will start to climb back from its relatively weak spread against bread, against Brent, Brent crude. But even so, U.S. refineries were only operating at 83% of capacity last week. There is room to provide more jet to the system as well as diesel. As always, the price will ultimately be set primarily by the price of crude. The price of diesel relative to crude may be set for a rebound from its lows of 2020, but there doesn't appear to be any danger of a spike in diesel relative to crude, so that is good news for the buyers of diesel. We are going to turn our attention now here on Drilling Deep to a part of the trucking industry that is an integral part of getting drivers behind the wheel, but it's also a part that's fairly controversial. It's a lease purchase agreement, and it allows an individual to get behind the wheel of a truck, make lease payments on it, stay almost completely leased to the trucking company that provides that lease. And then if all goes well, the truck driver walks away with ownership of the vehicle at the end of the lease, and then they're a truck owner. But a lot of these leases do not end well. There have been a lot of lawsuits. We at Freight Waves wrote about some of them this past week. There has been press coverage that has been decidedly negative. We're going to bring to the podcast today Matt Harris. Matt's the president of Pathway Leasing. He's Denver area-based. Pathway, I think, is somewhat unique in that it is not tied to a specific carrier. It's not a division of a carrier, as so many of the, the companies that provide leases are. So he's got a unique perspective. So first of all, Matt... Thanks for joining us today on Drilling Deep. Thanks for having me, John. So why don't you first talk about what Pathway does and where they are in the kind of supply chain of of getting people leased into a truck? You bet. So um, we're coming up on our nine-year anniversary and and certainly have had some some changes uh, throughout, but we've never been part of any uh, carrier, like you mentioned, and and no carrier is part of us uh, currently. Uh, We have about, uh, we have clients and who are contracted to about 70 different motor carriers. Uh, some uh, of those would be running under their own authority, and some would be uh, contracted to other uh, carriers operating under uh, that carrier's authority. So is that kind of a unique role, the the sort of independent uh, lease purchase supplier? I, I guess you would call yourself the, the, the leasee, or you'd be the lessor in these arrangements, correct? Correct. Uh, as far as being unique. Um, I mean, we have we have quite a few competitors who are also not part of uh, any carrier, um, uh, but there are obviously a lot of in-house uh, lease purchase programs out there that I you know there I, I hesitate to call some of them competitors uh, um, just because they they do have a very different setup uh, for the most part than than what a third party uh, leasing company would have. All right. So let's talk about, uh, before we talk about whether leases are good or bad, let's talk about how they're structured. I think that conversation needs to be held. So let's say I come to you and I say, okay, you know, I've got a, I've got a job with trucking carrier XYZ. Uh, I think I'd like to own my own vehicle. Uh, let's, uh, w- what's the structure of the lease? The, I mean, I'm sure it's obviously very complicated, but what are the basics of that lease? You bet. So there's going to be a, uh, a length of term. And, and, and once you get I mean, really, outside of someone leasing the truck, each structure can, from company to company, 
Uh, leasing company, leasing company can be very different from one to the next, uh, different features. So for ours, um, we, I, I try to keep it pretty simple, but I also try to address the, um, the main factors that lead to failure uh, for our clients so that we can have increased success and so that we are making a, uh, having a positive influence on, uh, on our clients and on the industry. So for us, uh, obviously, there's going to be a, a truck rent portion of the lease. Uh, they also pay into an equipment escrow, which on that, that's a like a maintenance uh, account that they can use at any maintenance facility uh, the client chooses for any maintenance related purpose on the truck. Uh, anything they don't use, the client gets back at lease completion. There's They don't have to keep a minimum balance. It's not there for anything like that. It's there to protect against what is the largest uh, cause of a failure amongst owner operators. And then uh, they have a security deposit, which they get at the end. They can apply that security deposit towards uh, the purchase option or the residual amount at the end. And so they'll usually have a, a, a significant portion um, of that residual needed. And, and if they're short, uh, we do, uh, they can either get outside financing for the balance of that or uh, we will work with them so that they can complete and buy out the lease if, if that's what they want to do. Some clients want to trade out of it rather than than buy it out. And then last thing uh, uh, with our with our structure is they have, uh, we pay the federal heavy vehicle use tax in advance, and then they, uh, they pay that back to us throughout the course of the year. And what's the general term on most of the leases? Uh, on average, a good average is, uh, is three years. Um, I don't like to carry things out too long because I want the client to see um, light at the end of the tunnel. I, I don't, I don't want to structure it out too far. Um, uh, just because I, I want lease completions. That that's really what uh, we've built our business on is is trying to uh, add to those. And I, I just feel the longer you you string that out, uh, the harder it is to uh, to get to that goal. In doing the story for Freightways that I mentioned, I spoke with Jack Porter. Uh, Jack is part of the Truckload Carriers Association Truck Profitability Program. I guess he's the head of it as well as having his own business. And he said a lot of the reasons that the leases fail are just that people are not willing to change their lifestyle to make them work. And, and I was trying to think of, a, of an analogy. Let me throw out this analogy and you tell me if it's a good one. You know, if you're going to be a doctor, your years of residency are like a living hell. You work an incredible number of hours. If you want to be a banker on Wall Street and make the big bucks, the the years when you're kind of like a junior banker, you're talking seven days a week and God knows how many hours a day. Is that what it takes to be a successful to, to successfully get a lease that if you, you sign up for three years, you're going to work like crazy to make that thing work. But at the end of it, you've got yourself a truck. I think that is in certain markets and certain times. I think that's a, a great analogy. Um, but certainly today with freight rates where they are. I was just speaking with a client uh, yesterday who told me he's taken every weekend off and he's still after after fuel, after insurance, after lease obligation, after all of his expenses, he's still taking home over $2,000 a week and he's getting every weekend off. So I'm not going to say that that's every one situation or, or in every market uh, that, that that's possible. Um, and, and there are certainly times in, in, in this industry, I do feel if you want to get ahead, you have to be uh, a hard worker. Um, and, and so, if, you know, that, that's certainly one of the main characteristics someone would, would have to have is, is 
uh, is, is that hard work ethic, that great work ethic and uh, dedication to what they're doing. Um, and, and so there, there's certainly some truth to that, but I, I don't think that today where with where freight rates are, that people are, are you're not having to turn 3,200 miles as a solo uh, driver just to, to see some money in your pocket. Yeah, I would imagine being successful, being successfully able to pay off a lease now is a lot easier than trying to do it, let's say, two years ago. It's like, you know, like night and well, day. Well, you know, I, really from 2017, so the, the uh, freight market took a pretty good turn in the summer, starting in the summer of 2017, where freight rates started going up. Now, they're not on uh, a plane where they're just on, on a uh, on an increase uh, week after week, month after month. So there's some uh, peaks and valleys in there for sure. But really from that time period to now, um, if you're, a, a, if you've got a, a good setup as far as, you know, being a, a contractor who is at a good carrier, that's a good fit for that contractor. Not every carrier is a good fit for, for every contractor, uh, but also in a good truck and, and you have the right uh, work ethic. Then, then yeah, it's it's become um, certainly easier because of freight con- and market conditions. All right, but meanwhile, as I said at the start of the of the podcast, we've got a lot of lawsuits out there. What spurred me to write the story that I did this past week were the fact that I discovered a lawyer in California who got three of them going on at one time. He was also part of the he was one of the attorneys for the big CR England settlement of a couple of years ago, which was over leases. That settlement, I think, was around seventy-five to eighty-five million dollars. So, you know, a lot, a lot of money here. Uh, the USA Today story that I don't know if the listeners are aware of it was just really devastating. Um, incredibly bad press for this business. And uh, you know, we knew when you and I had some emails, Matt. You seemed like incredibly eager to tell the story that there's some successes out there. And if there are, this is an industry isn't doing a great job of letting the world know about that. So you gave me a number uh, about uh, the success rate at your company, which I, when you told me, I was like, hallelujah, I've got a benchmark to measure this by. So why don't you share that with the audience? Yeah, so uh, in 2020, uh, our uh, lease completion percentage was 25.53% was the exact uh, number uh, of clients who completed a lease just in that year. So uh, with, with our average lease being about three years, like we mentioned, uh, that that doesn't mean, um, as you point out in the story, that certainly does not mean that uh, 75, uh, roughly 75 percent of our clients failed. Uh, that means they're in still in year one or year two of their lease. And and so um, we have a very high lease completion percentage. And and part of it, you know, USA Today uh, is, is probably not going to write a whole lot of stories on on uh, success of owner operators and, and trucking. Uh, you know, it doesn't sell nearly as many uh, papers as uh, as kind of a, a more um, tabloid or, or, or negative story will, will sell. And there are, in, in fairness, um, I think there are some programs that, that don't have very good results out there. And, and that needs to be brought to light. And, and I think uh, we can't just say, hey, the market corrects these things. Um, uh, by by those companies going out of business eventually, uh, because there's a big wake, and that that wake is real people who who are hurt by uh, those situations. But on 
on the flip side of that, John, I, I don't think anyone uh, enters into a lease purchase program or, or any type of financing arrangement uh, unless they decide to, to do that. Uh, certainly, you don't put money down. I, I don't know of anyone who can get anyone to put money down on a truck uh, without that person really wanting to do it uh, themselves. You, you're just not that good of a salesperson uh, to do that. But but the, the nice thing about the industry is there are a whole lot of people who are making a lot of money uh, these days. I would say uh, our average client, and in fact, I wouldn't just say, I, I ran the numbers last week uh, on it in preparation for this. Uh, we've had uh, eight weeks in a row where our average client, after making their lease obligation, has taken home over $1,800 uh, each one of those weeks. Uh, seven of those weeks, they've taken home over $2,000 each week after meeting all uh, fuel, insurance, and lease obligations. So that's interesting. So you 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 don't just see the check that they send you for their lease payment. You're seeing their economics as well. Well, e- even if even if we're getting the, the funds uh, on, and so that would be on clients we do see uh, the, the net settlement amount for. I may not see the details. I couldn't tell you how many miles they ran or, uh, you know, if they took cash advances that that are income and and, and add to that that number um, or, or what their fuel expense was exactly. But just seeing a net number on, on those after everything, uh, what what they're putting into their account at the end of it on average is over two thousand dollars a week, which quick math on that is, is over one hundred grand a year net income. Yes. So so I'm thinking that this is maybe just a sweet spot like this industry has never had before. Certainly, I would think that the attractiveness of the lease is going to be a function in part of interest rates. And for all the talk about the 20-year, the 10-year going up, these interest rates are still pretty low. You've got incredibly great good freight rates. And the price of diesel, obviously, it's come a long way. It's up about 80 cents since November. But it still isn't, you know, in one of these sort of bone-crushing uh, period of high prices. So have, have you ever seen a period like this? I mean, is my theory correct that these conditions together are a great time for being a, for being a lessor? It, it's certainly better. So I've been in this for 19 years uh, in, in this industry, uh, one way or another, and, and I've never seen uh, so many people making so much money. Um, you know, it, usually what I always thought is, is that you had to specialize and, and in certain market times that that was certainly right you in order to make um, and separate yourself and be a top earner in this industry you, you had to have uh, hazmat or you had to be uh, uh, running DoD uh, freight something specialized uh, but today you know you can you can haul um, general commodities and and again still take home at the end of the week two thousand dollars and and that's certainly not everybody but but different people make choices as to what carrier they're going to lease to for different reasons. Uh, we have clients who know they can make more money uh, with another uh, carrier, uh, contracting to another carrier, but they stay where they're at because it fits uh, something about their lifestyle. Either it's, it's better for home time. They, they, they don't want to haul certain types of freight. Uh, there are different, many different reasons people make for choosing the carriers they do. And that's a great thing about being an owner operator. If, if I'm at a point where I want to maximize my earning potential, I can do it 
a heck of a lot better as an owner operator in trucking today than I can as a company driver. You're going to be pretty pretty well maxed out as a company driver. Uh, you, you're gonna you're gonna range somewhere between forty five and and even sixty thousand dollars, which is you know still a pretty good range. Um, you're you're not taking on risk, and so when you're not taking on risk, there's not as much chance for uh, reward. Um, but but as an owner operator, uh, we have we have solos who are who are tracking to to make over a hundred and twenty a grand, so double uh, what the top company driver can make. And this is with their risk. This is after all their expenses. This is money they're putting in their pocket and changing their lifestyle um, and and really separating themselves. But it's it's certainly not for everybody. Yeah, you know, I'm thinking about every quarter I do a, a short story based on the earnings that come out of BMO. And BMO is a major lender to the trucking industry. I don't know if they do lease purchases, if you see them out as a competitor. But um, as a publicly traded corporation, of course, they have to re- reveal all this data. Uh, and they have very detailed data about the trucking write-offs and uh, uh, loss, you know, loss allowance, that kind of thing. And their write-offs in the fourth quarter of last year, I think actually they call it the first quarter because they're on a little different calendar, were the lowest in like 10 years. So, I mean, that kind of supports your idea that you're seeing really good times. So if it's all these, you know, all, all things are all good, there are still people out there who are failing at these leases. What are the biggest reasons you think that happens? You know, um, I mean, historically, um, the number one cause of failure has been the inability to cover maintenance expenses. And and so I, I don't know that that has changed completely. I do think um, certainly for a long time as as um, we we went to the emissions engines that that and uh, and and reduced emissions, which you know everyone wants clean air, uh, uh, clean water, all 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 that, and and so those are good things. But the the struggle to get there and to have equipment that was um, reliable and and not in the shop, and and so you have opportunity cost that comes into play on on top of uh, the cost to to maintain that after treatment equipment uh, was was pretty devastating, and that's all put on and and uh, and and required. Uh, but again, um, so that took some adjustment um, from the OEMs to understand for their engineers to kind of get that right, and from uh, from a maintenance standpoint, for people to understand what kind of preventive maintenance they need to do on these systems. Um, so I, I do think that caused a lot of failures, but also, you know, technology has played a huge role. Um, so you have carriers who uh, and, and people who can get their own authority and go out onto a load board and have access to markets that, that they'd never had before. And and when you have uh, a true uh, shortage of drivers, I haven't always felt that, that the industry uh, has, has truly had a shortage of drivers. But I do feel that, that there's an imbalance today. And so you have uh, fewer trucks going after more freight, which has driven up uh, freight rates and, and made it to where you know, people can make a, a significant uh, living as an owner operator in, in trucking. And, and, uh, and there are lots of, again, lots of hurdles. You have uh, fuel prices that, that are going up. And, and you know, the great thing is if someone's in a fuel efficient truck, uh, chances are, and, and the carrier's passing on a good fuel surcharge or they're getting that from the shipper, uh, chances are they're actually uh, making, their their margin is increasing 
as fuel prices go up. So it's a bit counterintuitive, uh, but but if the fuel surcharge is based on someone getting you know five and a half six miles per gallon, and someone's actually getting seven and a half eight miles per gallon, their margin is increasing as fuel prices go up. Um, so people bemoan that that fuel increase, and I I certainly don't like it when I go to fill up uh, my car uh, every other week, but uh, but for the industry, it can be a really good thing. What, uh, what does somebody need to do to qualify for a loan from pathway? And is that that much more different? Um, do they have to show some kind of uh, financials being solid or they just have to show that they're willing to to bust their butt behind the wheel? Yeah. So, uh, so we do have, um, quite a few standards that, that, uh, people have to meet. So, uh, one, we look at job stability and, and so what I, and, and this is based off of um, analysis I did of, of who completed uh, leases before I bought out what is now Pathway. And I found that, that the strongest correlation uh, was uh, previous job stability, uh, was stronger than, than credit score and, and stronger than some other things. So that's certainly a, a major factor. We do look at credit scores. Uh, we do consider how much debt someone has do they pay off you know when they're extended credit do they make good um on those obligations i i uh you know my mom tells me i'm i'm pretty special but i don't think that if someone's not paying their other debts that that i'm so special they're going to pay uh their debt with us so uh, we, you're, we you're like you're like a journalist you're like a journalist the old joke is you know you say your mother loves you check it out <laughs> right um we also <laughs> look at you know whether or not they have some things like uh uh, tax liens, uh, past due child support, um, things where they can get garnishments, and and we can all have the best of intentions, but if there's a garnishment or risk of someone losing uh, their CDL, it's not going to end well. So those are things we we look at. We also um, are one of the leasing companies that that does require money down on every lease. So I believe that everyone has to have skin in the game. Um, if you don't have skin in the game. It's too easy. You know, you know, running a business is 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 hard in, in so many different areas. And you have to if you can't do something yourself, you at least have to know you have to get help from other people. But but when you don't have skin in the game, um, it can be just very easy to say, you know what, I'm going to turn in the truck here and go go next door and pick up a truck some somewhere else. Uh, whereas if, if you have a little skin in the game. Then you're certainly willing to take on some of those challenges and and meet them head on and and work through them to get to get there. And so I think that has been a big key. Is is it just we don't just let anyone who uh, has a, a CDL and and can meet whatever insurance requirements come come in. There there are some standards they they do have to meet. Can I ask you one more though? I could probably ask you ten more. It's a fascinating conversation. The, with these kind of conditions that we've talked about, the high freight rates, the low interest rates, et cetera, are the people knocking down your door? Are they thinking this is the the best time for me to try to go buy my truck? Or is that does it go on independent of those kind of conditions? Do you see any kind of correlation out there? Yeah, the the phones have definitely been been busy. And and so uh, you know, it, it's interesting because you have um and, and again, I'm not trying to uh, pick on any any one uh, political party or or anything like that. I, I think you know in general, uh, regardless of what party or or a notion you subscribe to, you want what's best for the country. And and so I may disagree with someone, but I I usually think they want 
still want what's best. Um, but you have uh, this attack on on the the model of being owner operator and and lease purchase programs uh, as part of that. Yet people are making more money. It's part of the American dream where you know you can take some risk and have some significant reward that you couldn't have being an employee just waiting for you know your annual bump in pay or or the union contract to come through. And so we've we've certainly uh, seen a significant increase in applications and phone calls. Um, uh, you know, for us, the the biggest challenge right now is is finding uh, good equipment that that we will buy. Uh, used truck prices are unbelievably high, um, and so we we are mostly doing uh, new trucks ourselves. And 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 you know, when when the market shifts and and some of those things come back. Uh, down to earth uh, and and reasonable prices, then we'll we'll probably get back into to use trucks. But but right now uh, we are we are seeing a significant uh, increase in in phone calls and interest in, in programs and, and people wanting to become owner operators and taking advantage of these uh, of this freight market. All right. Well, we'll have you back when the whole independent. The question of independent operator, independent contractor versus employee gets all settled out. That'll probably take about another 50 years. Uh, <laughs> you know, when I first started writing about that issue, I kept waiting to you know, stumble upon the, the, the ultimate legal decision that establishes independent contractor versus employee. And it took me a while to realize it's not there. It's never going to be there. But I'm sure you watch it very closely. I definitely am. And, and you know, you, you hope that um, that that. People are able to still uh, pursue the American dream, and and again, for for a lot of people, it's not it's not simply a choice of of can I make more money. Although that's what a lot of people uh, certainly do look at is that that if I take risk and I and I'm uh, disciplined and and I'm doing preventive maintenance and and doing what I need to do to run a successful uh, operation, then I can make more money. For some people, it's it's also lifestyle. You know, you look at not only in trucking, you look at journalists, uh, a lot of freelance people who who do uh, really regard that that freedom and that flexibility above other commitments and, and other other things that that could uh, that they would lose if they were an employee of someone else. And so I I hope that uh, some good sense is is used as as we look at this and, and understand that. Um, there's not one uh, set of, of requirements most people uh, use to get into to make that decision as to whether or not they become an owner operator. Uh, but you're really uh, providing opportunities to, to give people flexibility and freedom to run their lives the way they see fit. All right, Matt, we want to thank Matt Harris for joining us today here on Drilling Deep. Matt is the president of Pathway Leasing which is a major lender for uh, truck drivers who want to get into their own truck using lease purchases. Uh, he's been our guest here on Drilling Deep. You can find Drilling Deep on all of the major plat- platforms for podcasts. We are part of the Freightcast family of podcasts from Freightways. I'm your host, John Quinkston, and I hope you'll join us again. <laughs>